Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Like and share us on Twitter and Facebook. Say positive glowing things about us. Give us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. Hey Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Kirk. It is Easter. He is risen. <laughs> he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Mm. Yeah, uh, we had a wonderful weekend. The, the weather was gorgeous, uh, which is great because it's been cold and rainy uh, this week, which I guess... April showers bring May flowers, but uh, wonderful weather this weekend and, and just some a chance to be outside and, and enjoy the outdoors. On Saturday, we had some friends over. They have children the same age as our children. And so Meg, as she is wont to do, set up an elaborate Easter egg hunt. She took two different 48-piece puzzles and put them oh, uh, piece by piece into eggs. Uh, the girls were pink and purple in pur pink and purple eggs. The boys were in blue and green and uh, she hid them throughout the yard and they had to, uh, so the boys had to find theirs and the girls had to find theirs and then put the puzzle together. And I don't remember if there was a message on the puzzle, but this was like step one of three. And, and of course, you could see there is a health component in, in addition to the candy, instead of having candy in the eggs, there was puzzles. And I think the second challenge was more of an exercise one, like burpees and laps <laughs> around the house. And the third one included math. It was amazing, Kirk. Like I am amazed at the things my wife is able to put together, uh, things far beyond my ken. And that's kind of a thing of hers, right? Um, like party activities. She yes. enjoys thinking up fun party activities. She's great at it. Well, Saturday evening rolls around and we're talking about Sunday and Easter and activities and we're going to the park for a Easter sunrise service and this and that. And Isaac told her how excited he was to do for, Ma, for to do an Easter egg hunt at home. He said, mommy, are we going to do an Easter egg hunt tomorrow? And he was, and she was like, what do you think we just did? Like she just, you know, she's like, we just did. He's like, yeah, but that wasn't on Easter. And that was, you did that one. The Easter bunny didn't do that one. Well, I mean, we, we've never told the kids that the Easter bunny hold hides eggs, but some, somewhere he's gotten that. And also Kirk, can we throw in the theological, uh, there are some Christians who are, will not refuse to call it Easter. Really? Because they think that's pagan. Really? They, and they really don't like Easter eggs or Easter bunnies because they associate those with pagan like uh, 
pagan. Yeah, I mean, dyed Easter eggs are 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 pagan. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. Like, we 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 redeem pagan things, right? Indeed. When (laughs) Jesus went into the water at his baptism, he cleansed the water. So when Christianity takes over pagan holidays, uh, which we we appropriate, like this is the best kind of cultural appropriation is stealing the winter solstice and making it Christmas. (laughs) Amen. And um, having this 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 uh, Easter date. claiming that for Christianity. Uh, so it makes no a way lovely we... fall autumn holiday in Australia, right? Now what we don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What we don't want to lose is, is, is um, we, we don't want to turn Easter into spring and the re- renewal of things and fertility and birth <laughs> and for, and, and, and forget oh. about the, the, the actual physical resurrection of Jesus. So let's not get lost in the spring metaphors. Uh, but it, but it's okay to, to raise those. But yeah, Jesus was say, dead, and he has been raised. My kids have become like uh, Easter ritualists. <laughs> like, All kids are ritualists. You so, do things once, that is a tradition. That is a tradition, right? So I, I think it's Kim and I that enjoy eating the Easter eggs. But woo, Holy Saturday cannot go by with the sacred solemn dying of Easter eggs at our house. So I sent you pictures of that, right? We had a lot of fun. I'm sorry. You said you cannot spend Saturday without dying eggs. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. There would be outcry (laughs) amongst the natives. Yes. And which pagan, which pagan uh, God are you worshiping on Saturday? before Uh, Easter? um, That that would be Thor. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and uh, oh, so, speaking of Thor, th- speaking of Thor, I mean, do these people really not call Thursday Thursday? I mean, if you if you if you say we can't say Easter because it's got pagan associations, which it doesn't really, but um, uh, Moon Day, you know, like Thor's Day, uh, which other days are like kind of pagan? Like, it's come on, people. Yeah. Monday comes from Moonday and Thursday yep. Thursday comes from Thursday. Yep, yep, yep. Did I ever share with you the story um when well, I was in Wednesday, Germany? Wednesday comes from Wednesday. We all know what that means, right? <laughs> I'm waiting for the explanation. Oh, that's, that's a joke. Right, right, right. It's nothing. That's funny. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story when I was in Germany? So, uh, uh Thursday in Germany is in Germany. In German is Donnerstag. And then one of the favorite kind of street vendor meals in Germany is a kebab, which is just called a donor kebab in Turkish. It's basically the same as a gyro, but like, you know, don't tell, don't tell a Greek or a Turk that, right? Like that, that gyros and donors are the same thing, but they are. So it's great, right? You have like meat and cucumbers and sauce in pita bread and then you'll wrap it all up. Um, it's basically like the, the European equivalent of like grabbing a burrito from a burrito cart, right? So I saw at a train station the best pun ever, and it, it like wouldn't translate into English, right? It said, Donnerstag ist Donnerstag. <laughs> like Thursday is donor day, right? So like Thursday is gyro day. But like it wouldn't it wouldn't be funny in, in English. And I would but yet I was like, hey, I get it with my primitive German. I get it. That's really funny. Yeah, so we died, we died Easter eggs. And uh, and then our kids the next several days were like, ah, we don't want them. So I I have happily have have been eating them all. It's great. So much chocolate. Did you make did you make any egg salad? 
big fan oh, of yeah. oh, myself. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So much chocolate on uh, on Sunday, Monday. Uh, I, I got this idea from our friend Dave DeQuattro, who with their oldest daughter, they wanted to show her after um, after a, a solemn Lent, what grace is like, what 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 the heavenly feast will be like, that it'll be like endless food, rich food, as Isaiah says, right? Rich wine, rich food. They told, I think their daughter was at, at that time, like five or four. And they said, listen, on Easter, we haven't been eating sweets, but on Easter, we are not going to say no, you can eat whatever you want. And they felt really good about being Christian parents, teaching a theological lesson, like grace and practice. And I think according to their telling, like before Easter dinner even started, they were like looking at each other, like, this is not good. Like, can, can a five-year-old be pre-diabetic? <laughs> like they're just rappers everywhere and they, they stuck to it and they didn't say no. And so we, we do the same thing. The kids keep asking me, um, daddy, can we have, and I'm like, it's Easter. It's Easter. Let's, let's eat up. So we've, we've had, we've had a great Easter. Well, you're having rain. We are having 80 degrees in sun. So unseasonably warm here in otherwise cloudy, dismal Pittsburgh. <laughs> but you and I, uh, you and I both have, uh, have, have, have to, you have a quick out today, right? Um, I do. You, you're going bowling. Uh, a We're great going old, bowling. old timey American pastime. So with no clever segue at all, we should look at one of my favorite gospels of this year. Today's gospel comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side i will never believe eight days later his disciples were inside again and thomas was with them although the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you then he said to thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side 
Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, <laughs> it's kind of silly how frequently I neglect to talk about the gospel on this show. That I get caught up in this text and that text and how excited I am about the intricacies of what the text is saying and what God is doing. Uh, but, but let, Kirk, let me never, ever, ever, ever tire of talking about God's gracious initiative, this one-way love that we receive from God, that while we were sinners, Christ loved us, Christ died for us, that, that we are reconciled to God by his initiative and by his initiative only. So not only, like, the only thing we contribute to our salvation really is our own sin, because we, we acknowledge that faith itself is a gift. And so I actually listened to last year's episode on Thomas Sunday uh, and to see like, what did we have to oh, say about this? And, and we said a number of interesting things. Uh, and it's interesting how repetitive we can be. Kirk, I heard you tell your story of Chris Klikowski throwing rocks on the ice, which amuses you so, so much. Um, uh, you told the story of Dave DiQuattro and, and Giovanna and uh, Grace. Oh my gosh. Um, but proof uh, that like, once you reach age 40, you've like settled on like eight stories that you tell. Yep. And that's, those are your stories. That's right. So, oh so my God. Choose well. He chose poorly. That's a <laughs> Indiana Jones reference. Yes. Great reference. So let us not, as we look at this dense reading, there are a lot of different directions we could go. I mean, think about all the things that we see here. We see, quote unquote, doubting Thomas. So we see doubt and faith. We have John's great purpose statement of why he wrote this book. We have uh, the disciples gathered in fear. We have Jesus saying, peace be with you. We have, we have uh, Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit on them. We have so, we could go so many directions with this, but let us not <laughs> miss the obvious thing. Like let's, let's not gloss, uh, gloss over God's gracious initiative that not only did Jesus do for us what we could never do for ourselves, but his disciples who are huddled in fear on this day, <laughs> the disciples who abandoned him and were dispersed, that Jesus came back to them. It wasn't so, you know, we give Thomas such a hard time to label him doubting Thomas. And, and some preachers will even like be like, oh, look at him. He abandoned the disciples. He's not with them on that first day. And so it's like it, they'll talk about fellowship and the importance of fellowship, how the other ones stayed together while Thomas wasn't with them. Well, we don't know where Thomas was this first week, this Easter day. And so when we look at this, let us, um, let's remember that it says later that day, evening of that day. This is Easter on the Easter evening, Sunday evening. Doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Okay, so these disciples are terrified. They don't know what to think. On the same night, we have some disciples on, walking on the road to Emmaus, right? And they uh, 
have heard the testimony of the resurrection, but they don't necessarily believe it yet. They speak kind of in the past tense saying we had hoped he would be the one who would redeem Israel. So it's not clear that, that um, although there have been res resurrection appearances, that Jesus appeared and, and it ought to have been shocking and everyone would have been like, oh, everything he said was true. The disciples didn't necessarily uh, believe or get it. We don't, we don't know. But also, I, I do want to point this out. Um, no one should use this as a proof text to uh, become an anti-Semite. That, that when it says, for fear of the Jews, let's remember that Jesus was a Jew, that each of these early believers were Jews. So this isn't like Jews are bad and Christians are good. None of these disciples would have considered themselves anything other right, right. than a Jew. Because and John, John uses that as shorthand right. Right, for the authorities. Yeah, Jewish authorities. So, yep. yep. So, so it's worth pointing out, right? And uh, so I could talk about Jesus arriving and saying peace, um, this Hebrew word of shalom, which means a wholeness and completeness. And the fact that Jesus has accomplished that, this, this idea has been accomplished through Jesus' work. Uh, and we could talk about uh, how glad they were to see Jesus. Um, it says they were glad when they saw him and this gift of the Holy spirit and the keys of the kingdom. Uh, but what I want to focus on today is, is faith and doubt. So um, many uh, preachers will walk into the pulpit and preach on faith and doubt. And there's a, a particular tradition, which I don't want to throw under the bus, but I've heard people from this tradition talk about how, how doubt is a sin. Mm. I don't know what I think about this. Uh, I, but pastorally, like I have some real problems with that. Um, for to tell people that doubt is a sin, is to to tell people to shut off their brain and just cling to Jesus. Um, and it almost makes people feel. I don't want people to feel bad about their doubts. Look at these original disciples and look at the gracious Jesus who came to them despite their doubts. So you and I, friends, if you have doubt in your heart. God, what's important is that God loves you and has redeemed you and has called you his own. And uh, it's good that we have this, the, the assurance of the sacraments, that, that we have been washed, um, that we have been claimed by him. And through the waters of baptism, we never need to doubt whether or not God is for us, that God is for us, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And uh, as, we, as we think about faith and doubt, um, what is important is not the relative strength of our own faith. What's important, so don't ever feel insecure that you don't have enough faith. What's important is is the strength of the of the object of our faith. Does it matter how scared you are of the functionality of an airplane? Is that actually what's going to keep you in the air, or is the reliability of the airplane what keeps you in the air? I hope the answer is obvious. That's a rhetorical question. What matters is not the amount of doubt you have, uh, is that Jesus is 100% for you, and Jesus does all the work for you, um, so that by faith you may. Um, and so we have this testimony, and John tells us, he says, man, if I were to tell you everything, man, you should have, you should have, I wish you, I could tell you everything. I wish you could just spend five minutes with Jesus apart from anything he said or did in this book that I wrote down. But these things I did write down because you don't get, you don't get the, the benefit of Jesus appearing and showing you his body and his scars. What you have is this testimony. 
And so I've included these things to you, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's theme in this entire book is how um, Jesus worked for us um, it, it is uh, given to us through faith in him. And so there's symmetry in the book. In the beginning was the word. So chapter, uh, chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And here Thomas has the most full confession. Jesus says, my Lord and my God. And so N.T. Wright talks about how the disciples set out to find a Messiah and they discovered God. And so to quote N.T. Wright, he says, John isn't saying that the early disciples were confronted with Jesus and tried to find a category for him. Um, that's true, but like that's not the point he is making. He is saying that they, first century Jews as they were, were looking for Messiah and discovered that it was Jesus. And Jesus remodeled the meaning of Messiahship around himself. And that's what this book is about. And that we, and this book is also that we may have life by believing in Jesus, who is God. And that is me trying to keep my comments short, Kirk. It's great. And I, I, I love that you went back and you listened to last year's uh, episode. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to uh, endure it um, because I probably would be... Um, inclined to say the same things again, or I would, I would be, um, it would, as, as my children would say, it'd be cringy as I listen to myself about to say the same things again. So I'm going to try to, um, just kind of make a couple of narrow observations, Christopher. Um, one of them first is, uh, I, I want to echo what you said, um, just about Thomas getting a bad rap oftentimes on this Sunday. Um, Thomas is really a remarkable guy. Uh, first of all, his confession of faith, um, he's the first disciple um, who confesses Jesus as Lord, my Lord and my God. Um, that is the highest Christology that we get, right? Um, that's great. Um, but John also records this, um, this stunning comment um, earlier in, uh, in John 11. Um, we get, in John 11 is the death of Lazarus. Um, who's a friend of Jesus and the disciples. And this is uh, where we get the famous short verse, Jesus wept, right? Um, but before Jesus actually heals uh, Lazarus, um, before they head to Bethany, um, we, have, we have this brief discussion. Um, uh, Jesus says, uh, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I was glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then we have this, this verse that it's easy to miss or it's easy to scratch your head, head with, head at. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't know what I made of that verse 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, but in uh, the spring of it's either 2014 or 2015, 
At that point, I was an assistant band director with, uh, with the school where I teach. And I went, I was, I, we had taken our marching band on a field trip to New York City. And they were playing at a couple of venues in New York City. And it was a fun field trip. I love New York City. Um, we have great cities in America and I love New York City. And one of the things that I did during our kind of, we had some, it's remarkable, we had some free time where um, we could go kind of different directions and see different things. Some of the sightseeing was coordinated. And then there were other times where we had, you could go with, I could take some kids with me to different places. And anyway, one of the places where I wanted to go is kind of a, a lovely, beautiful flagship um, Episcopal Church, St. Thomas Church, Fifth Avenue. And um, there's, there's on the floor in a lovely mosaic, and I, I, Christopher, I don't know if you've seen the picture I took of this. I was struck by it, transfixed, stunned by it. Um, the, uh, the clergy and the choir, before they process in for every service, they walk in, they, they say a prayer, and then they walk in on this mosaic over these words before they process in, let us go that we might die with him also. Mm. And uh, let us not beat up on Thomas. <laughs> Thomas gets a lot of things right before a lot of others. And uh, if, if, if we're gonna highlight today, um, faith and doubt, Thomas, is, Thomas has a remarkable faith and we see it elsewhere. And he can be to us a remarkable icon of faith. And that's a good, you can do worse um, for a prayer than that. Let us go that we might die with him also. Um, so I, um, I, I think of that oftentimes when I see takes on this particular text that tend to be heavy on Thomas. I don't know, after that, after that Christopher, after seeing that, I'm not, I'm not heavy, I'm not hard on Thomas. I think Thomas had a lot right. I also love the proto-Pentecost moment. Mm. He breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. That's kind of cool. That's mystical, right? Um, and, uh, and John doesn't, doesn't, I mean, Luke uh, in Acts includes uh, the account of Pentecost. And so this is um, kind of a, a, a proto-Pentecost. But Christopher, at the ordination um, of bishops, um, at, the, at the consecration, rather, of bishops, um, this is exactly um, what is said to them. Receive the Holy Spirit, right, straight out of John, for the, and, and work of a, for the office and work of a bishop in the church of God, now committed to you by the imposition of our hands in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then to what end, right? Why, um, if we're thinking about this as ordination, and we do believe that Jesus came to build something, the church was in an accident, right? You and I have a high view of the Holy Spirit, that, that this, this whole church thing isn't an accident, that Jesus intended it, and the Holy Spirit cares for it and protects it and guards it, guards it and shapes it and builds it, right? So this is, this is ordination that Jesus is doing, right? Um, what is the point of, the, of, of um, consecrating our bishops and, and passing on that power of the Holy Spirit? Um, here's the point. Um, give heed to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Uh, think upon the things in this book. Uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Let me, let, me scroll, let me scroll down here. Receive the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Um, Most merciful Father, send down upon your servant your heavenly blessing, and so imdue him with your Holy Spirit that, number one, and I'm saying this, the prayer doesn't say this, in the preaching of your word, he may not only be earnest to reprove, beseech, and rebuke with all love and godly doctrine, but may also present a wholesome example 
in word and conduct, in love and faith, in chastity and purity, that having faithfully run his course at the last day, he may receive the crown of righteousness laid upon him by the Lord Jesus Christ, our righteous judge, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. So to what end do um, our clergy receive the Holy Spirit? To the end of the preaching of the word. Why? Well, to reprove, to beseech. I love that. Beseech is to beg, right? To beg the laity, to beg us all to, to live into God's holiness, right? To rebuke and with all love and godly doctrine. Um, and also to present a wholesome example in word and conduct, in love and faith, in chastity and purity, and to faithfully run the course, right? I think sometimes, Christopher, um, in non-Pentecostal traditions, um, we, we were maybe a little scared to talk about <laughs> why the Holy Spirit is vital and to what end, um, because uh, maybe uh, maybe I'm just speaking for me. Um, I'm afraid that if we talk too much of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to be talking about um, um, wild manifestations. Um, but it's clear that the Holy Spirit has um, more lovely day-to-day -day, uh, purposes that he works in our hearts and in our lives as well. So I love that. And um, it's a picture of ordination. And uh, when we read that, um, that is the same um, gift, the same reception of the Holy Spirit that is bestowed and has been passed on through the ages. And that, to me, um, fills me with awe, wonder, and thanksgiving. Well, and Kirk, let's not let uh, the strangest of Pentecostals <coughs> steal the Holy Spirit from right. us. I mean, let, let us be people um, who aren't, let, let's be comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit and, and his, his daily presence. And, and that, that is a big part of what he does is that like the Holy Spirit isn't some tool that on Sunday morning from 10 to 11, we use to get into a heightened state of worship where we can right. speak in tongues, right, but right. the, but Jesus said to his disciples, it's a good thing that I'm going away because when I do, I'm going to send you the yeah. spirit and oh. it's going to, you know, it's going to be great. Be like, think about how they must've been like, what do you mean? It's a good thing for you to go away. Right. This is Jesus. Right. Like the, the guy who had combed the raging waters, um, the guy who had given sight to the blind, the guy who was, uh, not only a miracle worker, but, but, uh, a uh, brilliant teacher uh, and a friend and 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 a caring per like think about everything that Jesus was and he says to his disciples I'm going to go away and it's good yeah well think about That's this the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life yes yeah yeah and also um, this is an easy throwaway line in as you as you said this is a, a content rich package uh, passage uh, as the Father sent me mm. so I send you. Mm. Um, so if, uh, as Jesus ascends to the father, it's not as if, um, the power to heal, to teach, to preach, to make disciples has gone with them. No, right, right. there are more now. Right? Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> there are more than just him now. So, well, and this is kind of John's great commission, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's got echoes of, of all authority and heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing yeah. them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, I will be with you 
something something ends of the year. Last year, did we did we comment at all on um, some of the some of the great artwork that's been inspired by this passage? The incred nope. incredulity nope. of Thomas. Nope. Let's talk about it now. Um, it's great because all the great artwork shows Thomas physically, like the Caravaggio painting shows yeah. Thomas physically inspecting the wounds. That, that's that's the one that, that is always on our bullet. I put yeah. it on our bulletin. Yeah, because it's, it's great, it's just, right? It's so graphic and great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like Caravaggio, but yeah, but me too. Because I mean, it's very incarnational painting, right? Yes. Jesus is like very his much figure human. Is sticking in the in in the side. Yeah. <laughs> the wounds of the lovely wounds of Christ, right? Which we'll be talking about in a moment. Um, but we don't get that here in the text, do we? No. So far as we know, Thomas didn't need that. Mm. Right. That might have been hyperbole on Jesus' part. Um, it's, it's just the words of, it seems like it's the words in the presence of Jesus. That's enough, right. Mm -hmm. To elicit that great moment, my Lord and my God. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, it was like, <laughs> well, let me, let me put my hand in and see, oh my <laughs> gosh, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Christopher, any other thoughts on this? I mean, there's so many, there's so many directions yeah. we could go, but no, that's I'm, good. I'm, I'm good. Moving on to our theology segment. Yeah. Uh, which we get to talk about the lovely wounds of Christ mm. and the benefits thereof. Today for our theology segment, we are going to talk about one of our favorite Easter hymns. At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Um, At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing was written by John of Damascus, who was from Damascus. <laughs> and he's a late church father. So interestingly, and I find this, I find this very interesting because you couldn't tell it from you're about to correct me we wouldn't call him a church father no no i was not going to correct you i was, I was going to make a joke about there being a really cool twist that he actually isn't from damascus but... <laughs> john of damascus the, the twist he's, actually, he's of actually yeah 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 <laughs> but sorry i don't i don't mean to get us off track that is what's with that great um uepui indiana university of yeah I think we have uh, several universities. Like Indiana University of Purdue, University of Indianapolis. Yes. <laughs> John of Damascus of Antioch. Yeah. yeah. Not, not quite unlike that. He actually is from Damascus. Uh, but Damascus had already been conquered by, by Islam during his life. And he lives as the status of a dhimmi. So uh, a, a Christian who's, who's living under um, Islamic um, authority. And you wouldn't know it, Christopher, from his hymnody, mm. would you? No. Um, there is no pessimism. Uh, there's no sense that he lives in kind of a waning time or a, or a sense of diminishment. Um, rather, um, a fierce, glad, bold, grateful proclamation of Easter joy just roars forth from his pen here. Um, 
we sing this we sing this to Salzburg, which is uh, the same tune that uh, when we talked about uh, what was the Epiphany hymn we we did that was to Salzburg. <laughs> we couldn't remember the name of it. No, we couldn't remember the name of this one. Uh, the Epiphany hymn is Songs of Thankfulness and That's Praise. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, so it goes, I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but it's at the lamb's high feast, we sing and I'll, I'll make sure it's, it's in the show here, not just me singing it, but, a but a better choir, <laughs> but at the lamb's high feast, we sing praise to our victorious King who hath washed us in the tide flowing from his pierced side. Praise we him whose love divine gives his sacred blood for wine gives his body for the feast, Christ the victim, Christ the priest. I mean, this is just, if you were to ask Christopher, what's the text? What's the scriptural text that's here? It'd be hard to pick. There's so yeah. many, it's, it's, it's evocative of so much, right? So, but first of all, my question for you, Christopher, what, what is this evoking, this opening line, at the lamb's high feast we sing? What do, what do we mean by lamb? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. That Jesus is the, the, is the Passover lamb. Yeah, um, Christopher, it seems like the early church, when I read early church hymnody, um, sermons, and poetry about Easter, they love the fierce connection between the Passover, the exodus out of Egypt, and um, that is a, a sort of proto-Easter, and Easter is the true, final, full uh um, passing through the Red Sea waters. We get that metaphor and we'll get that metaphor later. But right, Jesus as the Passover lamb whose blood, um, instead of just on our doorpost, saving us one night from the angel of death, does something far richer, far deeper, far more eternal, right? Um, so it's the lamb's high feast. Of course, the Jews ate the Passover. Not only did they smear the blood on the lintels in the doorpost, right? But they ate it, right? Um, and so, of course, that, that is echoes for us. At Easter, what do we do? We eat the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us, right? Um, so praise yeah, the Lord. And, 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 and so let's remember that it was Jesus that instituted this, that like Jesus, who was celebrating Passover, um, took the, the, you know, the Passover bread, and he said, this is my body. So that last line gives his body for the feast. So Jesus took an existing feast and said, this is my body. He, he reinterpreted in right. light of his work on their behalf. So not only, so like, like there are a lot of things that are happening here. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that, 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 that Seder feast, that Passover Seder um, is now Holy Communion. Yeah. Yes. It's like when you take, when you eat this, you get me. So it's interesting, Christopher, at the Lamb's High Feast, we sing praise to our victorious King. So within two lines, he is both lamb and king, lamb and king. And we know that it's not talking about someone else because in the next line, who has washed us in the tide flowing from his, his pierced side. And so we get the reference to the lovely wounds of Christ, which are, which are our health and our salvation, our healing, right? And, uh, and we, we should do, um, it's interesting. We should do a segment on the hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood, oh, yes. which I, I know that uh, it's interesting. There are several Facebook groups and I remember uh, based on church music. And I remember one discover one person posting a that they had discovered this hymn. They're like, <laughs> yeah. what is this? 
and, and not understanding, you know, that Christianity is is filled with this imagery of blood and us being washed in it. Um, yeah. When we read the, the, the language of Revelation, that, that the, the martyrs' robes are white because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Right. Yeah, yeah. And There is a Fountain Filled with Blood um, is, is written by William Cowper, who is an 18th century English poet who um, had, a, had kind of a mental breakdown and uh, became very fragile and wrote lots of poetry about his cats and then lots of poetry about Jesus <laughs> and was kind of a, a hermit. And for him, this wasn't a triggering, this wasn't triggering images as at all. It was one of the only tethers to sanity, right? That there is a cleansing fountain of the blood of the lamb. So it, it, it's just interesting where, 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 where we are one, where we are currently sensitive for a sensitive person in the 18th century, this was his one tether to reality. Um, mm -hmm. Who hath washed us in the tide, flowing from his pierced side. Um, I love that that echo of um, the centurion, right? Mm. Um, piercing his side, blood and water pouring forth, which is why, and maybe you can talk to us a little bit, uh, I don't know if we you want to do this or not, about priestcraft. Um, do, you, do, you add, do you add water to the wine oh, yeah. during oh, the yeah. consecration? And mm -hmm. that is an echo of, of that, correct? Mm-hmm. It is that and um, the fact that Jesus is both human and divine. It, it represents both things. Yeah, that would be. Have you ever done an instructed Eucharist? I have not. I, well, I have I have described different elements, but not yeah. the, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I, this is another thing that like, just like talking about grace, you know, it's, it's something I don't <laughs> want to assume. Um, I don't want to overexplain the liturgy, but I also don't want to underexplain it. Like right. every time uh, you describe it, uh, what seems like it seems to me like I do it a lot, but it's it's uh, always edifying. Yeah, I, I remember my, for my wife that was kind of the um, the Rosetta Stone that unlocked mm. so much, and she loved she loved every year the instructed Eucharist. Mm. Loved it, loved it. Um, Praise we him whose love divine gives his sacred blood for wine. Yeah, and there's again that connection, right, between Passover in, in, in Egypt and then um, the Lord's Supper when he, he takes the cup, right, gives his body for the feast. And then this last line connects the first two, right? Christ the victim, Christ the priest. Christ is the lamb and Christ is the king. <laughs> yeah he is those and, two and the, things and the author of the book of hebrews talks about this a lot especially in hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 through 14 uh he wrote and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but mm. when christ died but when christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Christ is um, mysteriously both the victim and the priest at this, at this, um, at Holy Communion. Yeah. Amen. Uh, verse two, where the paschal blood is poured, death's dark angel sheathes his sword. Israel's hosts triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Praise we him whose blood was shed, Paschal victim, Paschal bread. With sincerity and love, eat we manna from above. And here we get uh, the rich connection with Exodus mm -hmm. and, um, 
and 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 Easter. So not just not just the Passover, but 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 the Passover and Exodus being one continual salvation of God's mm. people, right? Mm. Um, so Paschal, Paschal is just a Greek word for Passover, right? Yeah. Like the adjectival yep. form. Mm-hmm. So where the Passover blood, like the lamb's blood of the Passover is poured. Yeah. And again, Kirk, it's, it's interesting. We talk about words, you know, in, in the West, we call it Easter. And I mean, not, not everywhere in the West, but right. in the East, do you Pascha. know what they call Easter? Yeah. It's just called Pascha. It's not <laughs> called Pascha. Yeah. yeah. Which I love. And then, I mean, it highlights it. It shoves right in your mm-hmm. face, that Exodus connection. Yeah. And yeah. so, so yeah, we have this connection where uh, the the door lintels that are smeared in blood, death's dark angel, the angel mm. of death sheaths the sword. Um, angel of death is not coming for you if if the blood has been if you are covered by that blood of the lamb. Line two: Israel's host triumphant go. Uh, this is crossing the Red Sea yeah. through the wave that drowns the foe. So like, uh, the way is cleared for us. Our foe is drowned in the wave. That, that was my only point. <laughs> it was a really good point. I was not, I was not, I was not continuing, Kirk. Sorry. Yeah. Um, praise we him whose blood was shed. So now we're back. It just very quickly, he's flipping yeah. back and yep. forth between Exodus yeah. and Jesus, making it very clear that Jesus is the, the fulfillment of this. Like you said, yes. that very Hebrews theme, right? Um, praise we him whose blood was shed, Paschal victim, Paschal bread. So now we're in a get. Um, Holy Communion is the new manna. It is the mm-hmm. perfect manna, right? Pascal as as that. as John taught, as <laughs> as Jesus taught in John chapter six. Yep. Your fathers ate bread in the wilderness, and <laughs> they died. I am the bread of life. Those right. who feed on me will never die. Um, That's right. Like that, Jesus is the manna that came down from heaven. Yeah. Yep. And and so he says, with sincerity and love, eat we manna from above. Right. We are. We are eating manna from above. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, uh, when he was writing The Lord of the Rings, um, as Sam and Frodo are going through uh, Mordor, which is hell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, 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 need to, they need to deliver the ring to Mount Doom. Uh, do you remember the food that sustains them? Uh, you'll have to tell me. It's lamus bread. Mm. Mm. which does which, limbus limbus, limbus bread. bread yes yeah, which yeah. is not which is incorruptible mm. right unless mm. it unless this comes out of its sheath right which at one point Gollum does right so a very obviously manna and mm. and and holy communion right and it fills them uh, unduly fills them right a little bit of lambus bread gives them energy um to continue on right so um I, that's a lovely picture as well of, of how our how our heavenly father feeds us um Verse three, mighty victim from on high, hell's fierce powers beneath him. What is it? Beneath thee lie. I'm looking at the wrong version. Yes. Yep. Yep. Thou hast conquered in the fight. Thou hast brought us life. I'm. I'm. Do you have it in front of you? Could you read this? Yeah. I have the wrong version now. I updated. Well, you correct me if my version is wrong. Thou hast conquered in the fight. Thou hast brought us life and light. Now, no more can death appall. Mm. Now no more the grave enthrall. Thou hast opened paradise, and in thee thy saints shall rise. So this, Kirk, we talked last week yes. about uh, yes. the, the benefits of the cross and the benefits of the resurrection. And so we have moved from the cleansing blood of the lamb yep. to the resurrection. So now no more is death can death appall. The grave, um, where is that victory? Um, yes. That was open death, paradise. Thing? Yep. 
And then all the saints are going to rise because of what Christ has done for us. He's the first fruits of, of right. the resurrection. And so this is this is that Christus Victor, Christopher, that you said mm-hmm. so captivates the Eastern imagination. Yeah. Um, the idea that that the power of the resurrection is the thing that rips you from the grave, as those great Orthodox Easter icons show, of the risen Christ arising from his tomb and simultaneously with either hand ripping Adam mm-hmm. and Eve out of their slumbers, out of out of hell. Last verse, Easter triumph, Easter joy. Can you read it again? I have an awful version again. Go Easter ahead. triumph, Easter joy. Sin alone can this destroy. From sin's power do thou set free. Souls newborn, O Lord, in thee. Hymns of glory, songs of praise. Father, unto thee we raise. Risen Lord, all praise to thee. With the Spirit ever be. So Christopher, this is interesting to me. I love all these um, church father, these hymns that are written by the church father, the last verse is always this Trinitarian doxology, which for me is further confirmation that the, that the Trinity isn't some, 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 some innovation or whatever. Um, it was just the natural rhythm of Christian worship to wrap all things up in marveling and praising um, three and one and one and three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Father, unto thee we raise, and to you, our risen King, with the Spirit, right? Um, so this is just one final um, yelp of Easter joy, right? Um, what, what alone can destroy sin? Easter. Mm. Easter alone can destroy sin. Um, so we pray that, that from sin's power um, that the Lord set us free and that our souls be newborn, right? Souls newborn in thee. That I love. Um, I, I, I had today, Christopher, I had um, one, of, one of the most difficult meetings I've had in mm. years. Mm. Um, and I actually didn't share this with you. Um, I, I've been feeling really low. And um, it's not always guilt that brings down a Christian. Sometimes it's guilt, but other times it's shame. I don't feel guilty about um, the thing that caused this meeting, but I'm ashamed. And uh, my confidence is down and I'm kind of feeling low. Um, but the idea that our souls are newborn in Christ um, that, that I can be cleansed, um, that that doesn't define me. It's not who I am, that I can be washed from the shame. Mm. Um, that is very freeing to me. And, um, and, 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 and I love that souls newborn in thee. Yeah. That, that you are not defined by if so. So, I mean, you, you didn't share what, what this shame is, but like, if it is a failure on your part that you are not defined by that, that, um, Christ has cleansed you and you have a new identity in him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Amen. I know that you have a heart out, Christopher. Any final thoughts on this before we end in prayer? Let's pray. Hey, I just, I, I would say this. I exhort you, not you, Christopher. Well, you too. Yes, you too, Christopher. Um, listener, listen to this hymn. Carry it with mm. you this week. It is really good. And Christopher, this is for you as well, I'm guessing. But for me, this becomes an Easter earworm. And it, mm. as a result, it becomes an Easter prayer for me. Um, so... I just love it. So carry it with you this week. Shall we end in prayer? Let's do it. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives with and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever.
Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. Oh.